Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Weissman. I'm the editor here at Modern Retail, and I'm joined here with Sasha Siddhartha, the CTO and co-founder of Thrive Market. And I'm really excited to talk a little bit about what's going on in the online grocery space, uh, specifically with marketplaces. And I know Sasha has been behind some interesting um, user interface developments at the site. And so I want to go into sort of how he's approached all of that and what he's noticed specifically with so many people buying their groceries online these days. Anyway, hey, hey Sasha, how's it going? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Excited to be on. Yeah, me too. So first, I always ask guests, uh, I know what Thrive Market is, but in case there are some listeners who don't, why don't you just sort of give the the background of how Thrive started, what you've been doing, and then we can go into some of the things you've been up to more recently. Absolutely. So in a nutshell, Thrive is a, a membership-based online grocery store. So our members pay an annual an annual membership fee like a Costco or Amazon Prime, $59.95 a year, in exchange for which they get access to a catalog of the highest quality health and wellness products in the in the grocery space. So it's food, pantry supplies, supplements, bath and beauty, uh, pet supplies, uh, meat and seafood, wine, uh, and so on, all delivered to their door for free. The business has been around about six years now. We launched uh, in November of 2014. And our mission uh, is to make healthy living accessible for everybody. So, you know, making sure that we we break down the barriers of price, geography, and information that has blocked, uh, you know, some families in America from being able to access this category of products. Absolutely. I feel like Thrive's a really interesting company right now because you've been around for, for such a long time, at least in terms of grocery e-commerce. And so there's been a rise over the last six months that's very unprecedented. But you, I imagine that you were better positioned than a lot of other companies. And I think that I've heard of so many startups that have just sort of gone on the scene now being like, oh, shit, like now we need to be selling groceries online. So can you talk a little about just sort of how did you, how did you position yourself specifically when the you know, shelter in place started and, and you know, people started ordering more online? Sure. So, so as I mentioned, we've been around about six years and it's, it's always been a, a fast growing business. So online grocery from the time we started back in 2014 was the fastest growing section of the, the CPG sector compared to, compared to brick and mortar. And natural organic, which is the the product category that we we focus on, was the was the fastest growing um, segment compared to conventional. So, you know, for the entire history of the business, we've been at this this fortunate intersection of a number of tailwinds that have existed in the industry. You know, coming into coming into shelter in place in COVID, the business is growing about forty percent a year. You know, what we saw, uh, you know, post shelter in place was that growth rate more than doubled to the point where now the business is growing more than ninety percent a year. The things that set us up well uh, to prepare for it was a, you know, we were already a digital native experience, so there were lots of parts of the of the business that scaled naturally. Um, you know, as an organization, we were already set up for distributed and remote work, so we were able to maintain a high yeah. level of organizational efficiency even in the face of of having to having to move folks to to remote work really really quickly. Um, and you know the the core the core business model was obviously very well aligned with with the needs of the needs of the country at the time. So we were able to provide an essential service by allowing our members to you know now truly safely shop uh, for groceries from the from the comfort of their yeah. home. And we took something that you know was was always a value add uh, either from a convenience standpoint or from a geographic access standpoint, and turned that into. Um, you know, now what became a, a fundamental habit for, for most grocery shoppers in the U.S. today. So to, to dig into that a little, little deeper, 
About half our members are in the Midwest and the Southeast, which are areas that, you know, maybe traditionally regarded as as health food deserts where you don't necessarily have the same ubiquitous access to natural organics that you would, you know, living in living in Los Angeles or or another major metro. So the fact that we ship products, you know, through traditional carriers and can hit you know, almost every household in the U.S. was already a huge value add for these folks um, because they couldn't they couldn't drive to their local grocery store and get the same products. So you know, imagine mm-hmm. that amplified at a at a national level now, where where everyone's sheltering in place and and the ability to get deliveries without having to have to go into a physical grocery store environment is a not just a huge convenience, but also also an essential service. Can you talk a little bit about, because I, I talked with a few different founders and, and people in the CPG and grocery space who mentioned that a lot of the growth at the beginning, beginning in March and April and into May, was not unsustainable growth, but it was a lot of people freaking out and they didn't you know, they didn't want to go to their grocery stores or choices on Amazon. They, they couldn't get a delivery window for Amazon. And so they found other services. So how did how did you focus on retention specifically when you saw this big growth spike? Uh, with people who wanted to, who needed to buy their groceries and were looking for online options. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we, you know, we definitely saw, you know, several waves of, of, of what we'd be described as panic buying going into <laughs> kind of the February, March, April timeframe. Now, the major benefit for us as a business is we're, we're membership based. So, you know, in order to shop the site and place an order on Thrive Market, you have to sign up for the Thrive Market membership. Now it's 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 risk free and all that, but it does represent um, you know a little bit of a little bit of a barrier, so that people who want to join the Thrive Market community probably have more long term intent than just buying kind of their next you know their next one order in in a kind of time of emergency. So as a result, our growth was um, you know incredibly accelerated, but at the same time, we weren't having this the shelves stripped bare the way. You know, a retailer, uh, a retailer would have none of those barriers to entry uh, would have faced. And then once people onboarded, based on the fact that we were able to provide them with a high quality customer experience, we've actually seen retention rates be at an all time high uh, versus wow. versus seeing kind of a one time purchase. And when you know the consumer's life returns, you know, sort of closer to normal, they just they abandon their relationship with the brand and go back to their their previous patterns. Do you foresee there being a possible just because of the the increase of numbers there being higher churn a year like I guess nine months from now just because so many people signed on or, or is there are you implementing new tactics to try and make sure that that doesn't happen? So, so what we've seen through the entire history of the business is if we're able to engage customers early and create um, that positive experience, get them shopping, get them habituated into the Thrive Market online experience, that directly correlates with retention. That is the number one factor through kind of thick and thin for the business. And you know, through the last five or six months, we've seen that early engagement be at an all-time high. So all mm-hmm. signs point to the fact that you know our, the new members requiring are are shopping more frequently. As a result, they're saving more money in each order. As a result, they're getting more value for their membership and saving a very significant multiple over the course of just just a six-month window. You know, our average member makes back their membership fee in, in under two orders. So, you know, mm-hmm. kind of work that out to them being a member for the year and ordering, you know, say once a month. And they've saved an enormous amount of money. So we have pretty high confidence that, you know, despite the fact that you know, we're kind of in an unusual circumstance right now that the the relationship we've created with these customers is one that's going to last. Absolutely. Can you talk a little about just specifically from your role as CTO? I, I know that there have been 
changes and iterations to to the general user experience on Thrive Market. Can you what was that based on observations uh, that happened during the coronavirus bump? What what changes have you made to the shopping experience specifically? Yeah, so th- there were a few things that we had to do to to react specifically to to COVID and the and the increased demand we saw, and most of that was making sure we were doing right by our members and being really transparent in terms of the you know messaging if there was a shipping delay or or something along those lines when we were at points of peak demand. But most of our user experience strategy has not been directly uh, influenced by COVID. We've we've kind of. We've been in a position where the tailwinds that COVID's provided has allowed us to, if anything, accelerate our long-term planning. And some mm-hmm. of the areas we've always wanted to focus on, um, you know, we've really been able to double down. So a couple of examples of that are the, the brand and being able to really take the time through through 2020 to get that dialed in, both in terms of the, the website and mobile app design. Um, and the other major lever that we've been focused on is, is personalization. So getting to the point where we can create a shopping experience for our customers that is that is truly value add and truly takes their dietary household uh and health and lifestyle goals into account in creating the right the right journey for them. Yeah, well can we talk about the first one cuz I really am interested in that. Personally, I I've used Instacart once and I really hated the mobile experience to be completely honest. Uh and I what can you talk about what you've noticed in terms of how you've made it a, a better experience that have been part of your long-term plans. What were customers asking for? What did you add? What did you take away? Just anything along those lines. Yeah. So even, even pre-COVID coming into 2020, just about two-thirds of our sales or more were happening on a on a mobile device. You know, kind of a combination of mobile mobile website and and predominantly our, our iOS and Android apps. Yet historically, you know, from kind of the day we launched the business, I think we'd always struggled a little bit to have uh, a design philosophy that was truly, truly mobile first. And that it comes down to the little things, right? It's about designing your your screens uh, with the phone in mind first and then being able to expand out into a, a richer experience for a tablet or a desktop versus shrinking down a, a desktop experience to small size. So... You know, when 2020, you know, we've embarked on a pretty, pretty ambitious redesign of, of the site and mobile apps. And you know, the number one commitment we made is, you know, from a, both the organizational culture on the technology side to what we deliver, we're really going to focus on the experience on the phone. So, and that means simplifying the user experience, prioritizing pretty ruthlessly in terms of how you use that really limited real estate to showcase the most, most valuable information to customers. Uh, and then also starting to adopt more uh, more modern patterns and navigation. So, you know, we're working on a, a new version of our mobile website, for example, that's going to have a tab bar similar to what you'd find in a in a in an app that you would download in a native app uh, that'll allow customers to access their their most frequently used sections of the site and their personalized item collections in a much easier way than they would have before, where it'd be hidden behind a hamburger. So, it's not it's not one particular thing. It's a it's sort of the sum of the parts of of just best in class design on each area of the user experience, whether it's product discovery, surfacing information in our product detail pages, you know, thinking from the the technology and engineering side uh, about load times and making sure that even on a a slow internet connection, uh, customers have a really successful shopping experience. So it's uh, a lot of little moving pieces, but it adds up. Uh, it adds up to much more than the sum of the parts. Did you find that there was one specific thing, either like fix that you made or a problem that that you had that once once corrected or dealt with, led to a, a marked 
difference in, in customer satisfaction or how they were interacting with the site? Not so much on the on the mobile design front. I think the the biggest win that we've seen in terms of um, step function growth to the to the customer experience has been the work that we've done around what we call guided shopping. So mm-hmm. this is really how we the process by which we onboard new members onto the Thrive Market experience. So historically, you would you'd sign up for a membership, and we would you know we would drop you into this e-commerce experience like an Instacart or an Amazon or any other any other shopping site. And you would use the standard e-commerce tools that have been around for ages to build your basket of products. You would search, you would navigate through category pages, you'd browse, you'd filter, and so on. Uh, and this works well for certain categories. It works really well for narrowing down from you know, a million products down to one product and checking out. However, you know, similar to the experience you may have had on Instacart, you know, you're adding 10, 15, 20 items to cart. And our customers are mm-hmm. often uh, going to have very specific needs in terms of the criteria for each of those items based on their diet, health, and lifestyle goals. And that's a pretty challenging experience uh, based on kind of the traditional e-commerce norms. So we, we flipped the paradigm on its head and uh, kind of asked the question, you know, how would this ideally work? So, and the analogy that we sort of floated around the company is, you know, what if we had a really helpful personal shopper or health coach <laughs> that you could consult with when you showed up to Thrive Market who you know, understood, like asked you about your preferences, asked you what you like to eat, asked you if there's a particular diet that you were interested in starting, asked you about who's in your household and, and what sort of products did they like. And based on that data, was able to com- compile the perfect set of, of products for you um, and really take the guesswork out of that, that healthy journey for the customers. Now, what that looked like in the user experience is you, you land on the website and the first thing you do is take a short personalization questionnaire where you answer exactly those questions. Based mm-hmm. on those questions, we take you in a guided tour of each of the shopping aisles on Thrive Market. So everything from snacks to cooking ingredients to, you know, cleaning up your medicine cabinet to your bathroom to if you have a pet, making sure they're taken care of and, and so on, and recommend products to you based on uh, the criteria that you as the user have selected. And this allows us to really facilitate product discovery by showcasing people a relatively small set of highly uh, personalized and relevant products based on, um, based on the needs that they've expressed. And then that lets them build that basket of 15 products a lot faster than if they had to go through a traditional search and browse experience on their own um, and had to go, you know, kind of flip the nutrition label on, on every single product to figure out if it met their, met their criteria or not. So this was, this was something that we were working on starting the tail end of last year. We launched it, um, I think it was late, late Q1. And, mm-hmm. and as a result, this has been the, the biggest driver for us in terms of being able to onboard people more effectively. You know, conversion rates jumped up about 16% for, for users who were in this, in this funnel. We were able to improve speed to checkout by about 25%. Um, and those are really hard numbers to move in an e-commerce environment and ones that some of the kind of trial and error and A-B testing and all the other things that we've done uh, that were more conventional approaches uh, have not been nearly as successful at, at driving up. Interesting. And kind of a week into this, we're finding that fully a third of our customers are checking out just with this experience. So they're not even hitting the core site and kind of going through the traditional traditional process. They built their first order entirely based on the based on the recommendations from the, the, the guided shopping program. We're now going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Do you think what works so well with customers is that 
the algorithm of recommendations is works well enough, or is it actually the the overall experience of them not being on the core website and having sort of a truncated and easier from point A to point B experience? It's a, it's a little bit of both. Obviously, if the, if the recommendations are are poor, customers yeah. will lose trust in the experience. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it really boils down to trust, right? So we want to be our customer's trusted partner in this journey. So, you know, when we when we ask them for information, um, you know, about their household or what products they're interested in, that's an ask we're making for them. It's incumbent upon us as a business to be able to pay off that request for data, A, quickly, and B, with credibility. Mm-hmm. So it comes down to both. The experience is a lot faster and a lot less overwhelming than dropping someone on a homepage and uh, saying, okay, go forth and shop. Uh, but at the same time, our data science team has spent a ton of cycles making sure that you know, the recommendations that we provide are actually are actually precise. And there are a few areas where you know, there's going to be gray zones, right? So for example, if you say you're interested in a particular diet, we're not only going to show you products that are um, sort of appropriate for that diet, but we are going to sort those to the front of every list and highlight them as as the most the most relevant options, right? Because you know our customers may have a household with multiple people in them, and we don't want to we don't want to sort of cut off parts of the catalog that they may have been interested in otherwise. So you know some some of it is a nuance in the UX, but the the precision of the the recommendations and the ability to have this experience feel linear and simple and kind of remove the tyranny of choice and the need to <laughs> sift through, you know, massive product listing pages is I think instrumental to its success. That's so I love the idea of the tyranny of choice. And I feel like that's one of the big problems that nearly every e-commerce marketplace, like with grocery or even outside of grocery deals with is that you, you sort of are, you know, you say you want oil and then you're bombarded with a million different types of oils, for example. Right. And so is it, uh, is, is this something that the customers specifically had said that we need that you got from feedback. Is this just something that's always been on the roadmap? How have you like, and how did you figure out the best way to, to approach going about this? Yeah. As with, as with everything, it's a balance. So it's, it's in line with our long-term brand proposition. So the, the oils comparison you brought up is a great one, right? So we, we use almond butter in our pitch, which is you go to a grocery <laughs> store, you see 40 different jars of almond butter, like which one to pick, who the heck knows. On Thrive Market, even before guided shopping, you would find three. And the premise was, our merchandising team has done all the hard work for you. We've gone through every single brand in the industry, and we've selected you know, the top two or three options based on um, sort of the highest supply chain standards, ingredient quality, and, and so on. So as a customer, any one of those three you pick, you're in great shape. So that was always, that was always part of the premise. The other key data point that we had in our hands was that the ability to obviously shop by one's diet, lifestyle, uh, ingredient sensitivity, and so on was really, really important to our members. So from the beginning, the sites had more than sedentary dietary and lifestyle filters that you can use to, to filter the product catalog in a, uh, in a traditional sense, which allowed customers to you know, vote their dollars and shop their, shop their values uh, very effectively. But it was still a traditional experience, so how do we take this strong intent around, you know, matching a particular dietary or household need? How do we take the the core value of curation in our catalog and turn it into a holistic experience um, that really works for the customer? And this is where it's a little bit of a leap of faith, right? Customers aren't going to mm-hmm. tell you that they want a linear guided journey, right? Like you you walk into the experience and actually sometimes you get customer feedback that says like, I want to see the whole site. Uh, versus I want to go through this experience. But the 
the data points out that we're actually allowing people to be more successful by taking them through this this more curated approach. So, uh, you know, it's a mixture. How we get to the final outcome is a mixture of, you know, aligning with our brand and business strategy, taking customer feedback, both explicit and equally important actual behavioral data into account in terms of building building the right experience. And then, you know, being really rigorous on on usability, testing our concepts and being data driven and, and intellectually honest in terms of evaluating what we put out the door. Mm-hmm. Do you see any other monetization options specifically with this sort of guided shopping thing? I imagine that down the line, you could use it as a way to highlight brands that pay for certain types of visibility and uh, on the marketplace as opposed to others. Is, does, is that fit into your thought process as you're designing this? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's a foundation. So. The, the great benefit now is we have close to 100% of customers coming into the platform, giving us a really rich data set on day one. And that's a uh, that, that's an enviable position to be in for any retailer to not have a total cold start in terms of their customer relationship. Mm-hmm. And our plan is to use this data along with every other signal the customer is giving us in terms of you know, what pages they're browsing, what products they're adding, what emails and mobile push notifications and, and text messages they're, they're engaging with to create a one-to-one experience across every single touch point, both when they're on the the shopping platform on web and mobile and when they're off platform receiving messages from us. And the key again is trust and relevancy. So we always want to be delivering a message that the customer wants to get. We want to showcase products that they would want to buy versus just uh, kind of blasting them in a one size fits all manner. And speaking of monetization and kind of brand placements, that's really interesting, right? So we want to be in a position to connect uh, our brand partners with the customer segments that are most likely to engage with them, and particularly customer segments who maybe have not seen the brand before, but based on our data, we can ascertain mm-hmm. would be a great fit. So, and again, the, the richness of our data set and, and our ability to understand our customer base in depth, you know, makes us a, a really competitive place for a brand to, um, to prospect for new members. So, so definitely there's an opportunity to kind of tie in uh, the relationships with our vendors and create kind of a win-win situation where we can connect those vendors with new customers and let those, those customers discover a great new product that is naturally in line with their, uh, with their interests. Is that currently how it's working or is that just in the pipeline that you're, that you're planning on, on doing more robust sort of targeting that way? Uh, it's both. So there are, it's, it's in progress, right? So I think over the course of the last six months or so, I would say the majority of our, our marketing communications have have pivoted from being kind of one size fits all communications to being being one to one personalized based on you know where a customer's at in their life cycle, you know, what their specific affinities to particular categories, brands, dietary values, and, and individual products are. You know, we have a, a gifted purchase program that we we run where customers can select from one or more one of our premium products on the site to add to an order. The gifts there are personalized based on um, based on the customer's dietary preferences. We mm-hmm. have uh, personalized search, uh, personalized browsing where we surface products that are more relevant on on each of our category and diet pages. You know, is it complete? No, but it's uh, we're we're pretty far along in the journey, and I think. This is one of those things that never ends, right? Both the mm-hmm. the the quality and precision of those recommendations, and also the number of entry points by which we facilitate personalized discovery, is going to be kind of a a never ending challenge for our product and user experience teams. Absolutely. So, what is what's sort of on the pipeline uh, in terms of 
you know, what, what you're, what you're making, what you're developing to both for the end of the year, but coming into 2021, how is the, the overall experience going to change? Do you think? Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to complete the, the website and mobile app rebrand. So that's, that's one key priority. We're going to continue to extend out the, the personalization roadmap, you know, get to the point where we've got the ability to manage these preferences at an account level throughout the shopping journey. So again, the goal of the rebrand is every single page is personalized Customers can come back in and edit those preferences and kind of turn on and you know, what is effectively account level filtering so that they can um, they kind of be shopping in a, in a particular dietary mode and have the products that are most relevant to that shopping context pop to the top. A uh, couple other major areas of investment for us, uh, again, mostly focused on facilitating better basket building or one, we want to l- roll out and expand on our shopping list features. So uh, allowing customers to directly shop recipes, curated lists from influencers, and uh, kind of season and seasonal and relevant themes in, in one click. And mm-hmm. finally, we're rolling out a an intelligent recurring shipments engine uh, that we've called mm-hmm. AutoShip. Been working on it for for the past few months, and the goal is to be able to really help our customers form kind of a healthy habit around the products that they buy habitually and have what is hopefully the most user-friendly and flexible recurring shipments engine that's purpose-built for the way customers shop for grocery. So those are, those are a few of the code themes. Oh, interesting. So you mentioned the, the, the building uh, basket size, and that's something that I'm always trying to key in on and learn more about because I, I think that's a fascinating part of the overall digital grocery experience just in ter- because of margins. And anyway, there's a lot I find really fascinating. I know, I, I imagine that the guided shopping, you know, helps along with that, but that you, you, you sort of positioned it as more of a, a way to get people to actually transact. Have you found anything specifically since the coronavirus pandemic first began that, that increased basket size or, or just any other difference changes in behaviors that you've noticed with how uh, customers are, are shopping on the site and, and buying more items? Yeah, ba- and basket sizes specifically have have always been really healthy for us. So you know our our free shipping threshold is forty nine dollars, and we do that um, for a combination of economics and and sustainability. We don't really want to be sending a single product uh, in a giant box across the country. So forty nine is a nice balance where we get you know that twelve to fifteen items into a cart, and the average basket size has always been way higher than that from from day one of the business. Now it has crept up over time. Uh, it did mm-hmm. creep up quite a bit during coronavirus as well. And a lot of it boils down to, you know, continued improvements in the catalog, uh, continued expansion of share of wallet based on new categories that we've launched. So we started off with 100% of the kind of center aisle products in the grocery store, all the, the dry goods and non-perishables. You know, since then, we've expanded that core assortment quite a bit. We've also added um, a meat and seafood program. We've added... Uh, Better wine, we've added meals. You know, we're going to continue to look for opportunities to fill in, fill in gaps in the customer's grocery basket, and that's definitely driven up, uh, driven up both order order rates and order size. Um, mm-hmm. And during, I mean, during during COVID specifically, you know, we we didn't do anything, we didn't do anything completely, particularly intentional to to get customers to shop more. If anything, we were we were focused mostly on making sure that we could manage demand and provide a really high quality experience to our members. Um, but you know, the, there's been a steady upward trend there, and the the big driver is as customers habituate onto the platform, they discover more and more products. Each of those products mm-hmm. that they discover, um, there's a chance that they form a long term habit around, and then once they're habituated, they're going to keep buying that product on the right market. 
So as a result, just as our customer cohorts start to mature, we start to see bigger and bigger uh, and more and more frequent purchasing activity from them. Absolutely. Well, that's about all the time we have, Sasha. This has been a really fascinating conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. Our producer is Pierre Bienname, who also produced our theme music. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week. Bye.